Good morning, church. Would you open your Bibles with me, please, to Mark chapter 4. What a, a joy and privilege it is to address you from God's Word this morning. I was so encouraged to hear about the ladies overnight and some of the teaching and testimonies that were shared about trusting God in times of adversity. And by God's providence, we this morning have a passage to consider that will further that goal, will help us to acknowledge and to honor God in the midst of adversity. I I don't know about you, but it, it seems to me that we've never been in a time where we're so aware of the challenges all around us, to be to turn on the news and to hear about ISIS and to hear about nuclear confrontation, to hear about racism, to be aware of the issues related to the economy, to moral issues such as marriage, to the, the difficulties that people are experiencing in the areas of health, in the areas of financial management. It, it, it is easy to feel overwhelmed without even considering our own lives. And so when Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me, that's something that really needs to mark our lives and to, to, to mark the way we watch the news and read the paper and interact with the world around us. Because otherwise, when we come to our own life and we consider challenges... Maybe it's an argument that you had this week with a friend or a wayward child or financial hardship or a serious illness that you or someone you love is facing or even death. Life can feel overwhelming. The storms of life can feel unrelenting. And that's where God's Word is so good and so relevant. And the account we're about to read this morning is one that gives us great hope, not just for the storms of life, but for the Lord of the storm. So this morning, I want us to lay hold together of life-sustaining truth. And what we're going to see is that Jesus' absolute authority demands our unwavering trust. Jesus' absolute authority demands our unwavering trust. Look with me at Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? 
And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Notice that last question again. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus had a a very long and taxing day. We have read over the past two chapters of the incredible, taxing, strenuous day in the life of the Savior. It began with blasphemous accusations by the Pharisees that he was controlled by Satan. A fierce, adrenaline-pumping confrontation. Then his mothers and mother and brothers attempted to abduct him and take him back to Nazareth, thinking he was out of his mind. Then leaving the crowded house, he went down by the sea. And a great crowd began to press in on him, so much so that he had to get into a boat and put out and spent the rest of the day teaching. Teaching about the kingdom, teaching with many parables, verse 33, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So Jesus is speaking to the crowds and he is teaching or discipling these men in the life of the kingdom. Jesus has been speaking about the life of the kingdom and making this point repeatedly in these parables in verse in chapter four, that life in the kingdom requires faith. Then he says to the disciples, we're going to put out, we're going to go to the other side. But little did they know that the next hours were going to contain a pop quiz. He is going to not only teach them, speak to them about the necessity of faith, but provide a context for them to express faith, for their faith to be tested, for their faith to be proven. It's wise for us to pay attention to this because, well, same thing happens in our lives as he is training and discipling us. So he puts out from the shore, he, 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 goes, he says, let's go to the other side. It's probably a peaceful evening. The stars are beginning to come out. The sails are raised. And as they head across the Sea of Galilee, something happens. A great windstorm arose. Now, sudden storms are common to the Sea of Galilee. These men as sailors were well aware of this. The Sea of Galilee, 13 miles long, seven and a half miles wide, but it's 700 feet below sea level. 
and it's surrounded by mountains. Mount Hermon nearby is over 9,000 feet high. So you've got these high mountains, this low sea, and these, these gulfs that, that cause wind to howl down through from the mountains. The cool air coming down into the sea and causing impressive, frightening, sudden storms. And so the set is the the stage is set for a dramatic test. So we read that in verse 37 a great windstorm arose, literally a whirlwind. Matthew uses the word a great shaking or a sea quake. And winds and waves were breaking into the boat so much so that the boat began to fill up with water. Now, I don't know if you've ever been out on the open water when a storm comes up. I remember as a, as a young man, actually a teenager, I was out on the uh, sound down in North Carolina with my father at one point, and, and a storm began to come up. And we, the, our little motor began to run out of gasoline and could only be filled actually from the very top. So, so you actually had to take the cap off and try to fill it up. The only trouble is we didn't have a gas can with a nozzle. So, so we were pouring, wa- pouring gasoline into a cup and trying to fill it up as we're, as we're going through a windstorm. And it was, it was frightening. It was scary. So I, I just remember a little bit of that. I, if you've ever watched a, a movie like The Perfect Storm, you're, you're aware that there's, there's a certain vulnerability when you're on the open water. And these men, four of whom were experienced fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, experienced fishermen, were frightened because they knew that their lives were on the line. They knew that if the boat should capsize, they would die. But Jesus is asleep. How how odd. In the midst of a gigantic storm, the Savior's sleeping. Now that that says two things to us. One is it's, it's a picture of Jesus' humanity. It, this is really a, a fascinating page. Jesus has had a very long, hard day. And we don't think of this, but, but the Savior was fully man. He got hungry. He was angry. He cried. He died. He, he simply didn't sin. But he grew tired, and he was weary, and he, he was at the back of the boat, the only place where one could comfortably lie down asleep. But it also is a picture of, of the Savior's tranquility of faith. He was at peace with his Father. He knew his Father's care. But the disciples were unaware of that at the time. They weren't so aware of the Father's care. All they could see is that their life was coming apart, that their world was in turbulence that their very lives were threatened. They were going through perhaps the greatest, most difficult storm of their life. 
And they knew that their lives literally were passing before them. And they also knew that Christ, their Savior, seemed to be unaware of their plight. Asleep, in the midst of their greatest storm of their life, seemingly unaware. Do you ever feel that way? In the midst of of a trial that you're not sure you can handle? In the midst of a situation that seems overwhelming, do you ever have you ever felt that God seems to be unaware? Maybe asleep in the boat? See, they had forgotten that it was Jesus who led them into the storm. They needed to remember that Jesus was the one that said, Let's go to the other side. But they were unaware. They were beside themselves. All they could see is the danger. All they could see is the turbulence. All they could see is the winds and the waves that were their enemy that were going to destroy them. And with death staring them in the face, they felt helpless and hopeless. Here's the defining quality of a storm. It leaves us feeling absolutely Out of control. That's what's so hard about the storms of life. We feel out of control. And as long as our world is preoccupied with the waves and the wind, as long as the circumstances are our focus, we will feel helpless and we will do what the disciples did. We'll cry out, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Don't you care? Do you see the storms? Do you see the danger? Do you see how hopeless this is and you're asleep? How can you sleep at a time like this? How could you allow us to be in this place? God, I've obeyed you. I've followed you. How could you allow me to encounter these storms? If you've ever encountered that, you can identify with these men. And Jesus wakes up and does two really amazing things. It's easy to overlook how, how amazing these two things are. He, he wakes up and he, he issues a command. Not a prayer. Jesus doesn't pray to the Father for deliverance. Notice what he says. He rebukes the wind. Verse 39. And he says to the sea, Peace, be still. Well, that, that's different than the way we relate to life around us. We, we'd like to be able to do that. That would be kind of cool, wouldn't it? But, but we, we, we don't have that power. He didn't pray. He commanded. He rebuked the wind. The word rebuked is the same that he uses for demons. Rebukes them. Casts them out. Takes authority. 
And he issued this, he spoke to the sea, peace, be still. Like, like you speak to an unruly child. Sit down at the table. Peace, be still. That, the first thing that's amazing is the utter simplicity of his command. Utter simplicity. Peace, be still. And the second, the absolute submission of nature. As soon as he spoke, look what happened. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. Don't don't go too quickly here. Notice what happened. The wind didn't slow down some. When I pray and I'm in a storm, I, if the wind abates a little bit, that's, that's a good thing. Let's, let's have some gradual improvement. Maybe by morning, we'll, things will be nice. We're not, we're not talking about that. The wind ceased. The wind stopped. And there was a great calm. It was a great windstorm. Now it's great calm. In other words, we're going from hurricane force wind... To absolute silence. Eerie silence. And, and, and usually when wind abates, there is a kind of a process. The, the waves kind of churn for a while and they, they slow down over time. That, that didn't happen. It immediately stopped. The waves immediately stopped. There was a great calm. In other words... It went from a hurricane condition to absolute quiet, like glass. And the disciples, the disciples didn't know what to think. They were shocked, they were startled. In his book, Not by Sight, John Bloom retells the story this way. James knew the sea. He and John had spent most of their lives on or in it. His father was a fisherman, so were most of his male kin and friends. His mind flashed the faces of some of those who had drowned in the unpredictable Galilean windstorms. A seasoned boatsman, James was not alarmed easily, but he knew a man-eater when he saw it. This storm had opened its mouth to swallow them all into the abyss. Terror had been in John's eyes when he grabbed James and yelled, We have to tell the master. They stumbled to the stern. How Jesus had remained sleeping while the furious surf tossed the boat around was itself a wonder they woke him screaming teacher do you not care we are perishing james would never forget the way jesus looked at him his eyes were at once potent and tranquil no trace of fear laying aside the blanket jesus rose to full height on the rear deck James, fearing Jesus was about to be pitched overboard, reached to grab him just as Jesus shouted, Peace! Be still! 
No sooner had those words left his mouth and the wind was completely gone. The sudden hush of the howling was otherworldly. The waves immediately began to abate. Each disciple stood where he was, looking dumbfounded at the water and the sky and each other. Imagine that moment. The disciples knew that Jesus was unbelievably incredible. Best teacher ever. Great stories, amazing parables, very kind, enjoyable to be around, loved children, healed the sick. Cast out demons. Wow, we've never seen anything like this before. But this, this is altogether different. Suddenly they're aware that the the one that the Old Testament describes as the only one who creates and changes nature is in the boat with them. That this man isn't just a great teacher, a great healer, a good man. This is God himself. God himself is in the boat with them. And that's why they ask in verse 41... Who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. And that, brothers and sisters, is the central question in this passage. This passage ultimately isn't about getting through the storms of life. This passage is about being clear as to who's with us in the storms of life. And once we answer that question, the storms take care of themselves. Their response is the way our response should be. Look at verse 41 again. They were filled with what? Great fear. So would you. Imagine being there when the hurricane force winds becomes a sea of glass glass in a moment of time. Imagine being aware that this man didn't pray, he commanded. And nature obeyed. Imagine being aware that this man has absolute authority over nature. Absolute authority over creation. And he, he's in the boat with you. Before Jesus calmed the storm, they were afraid. After he calmed the storm, they were terrified. They were more terrified in the calm of the storm because suddenly they realized they were in the presence of God. And it's far more frightening to to be in the presence of God 
Because while the destructive forces of nature can take your life, God can claim your soul. The stilling of the storm revealed Jesus as both very powerful and very loving. And they began to realize that he was greater by far than they previously imagined. See, Mark's gospel, Mark began in chapter 1, verse 1, with these words. This is the gospel about Jesus Christ. Each passage should be read with that in mind. Mark's gospel is written to show us the truth about Jesus Christ. This passage uniquely reveals the truth about Jesus Christ. The gospel, the gospel defines us. And Jesus has been talking in these parables about life in the kingdom. He's been talking about how the life in the kingdom requires faith, how you must live by faith and cultivate faith. How faith within us is, is, is like the gospel that, that grows and expands to fill all the earth. And now he gives these disciples and gives us a pop quiz. That principle of faith is rarely tested in easy days of life. You aware of that? Honestly, we we don't need God's help all that much, or at least we don't think we do, in easy times, in prosperous times. It's not hard to go out to dinner at a nice restaurant. It doesn't require a lot of faith. But when the doctor's office calls and says, "We've, we've got bad news, we need to talk, you better have faith. When, you're, when your teenager's rebelling, when your boss wants to talk to you about a layoff, you better have faith. That's tested in the storms of life. And Jesus, listen to carefully now, Jesus expected these disciples to trust him. They expect, he expected it. He said to them, In verse 40, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, for most of us, we would say, well, Jesus, the reason they were afraid was because they thought they were going to die. So so that's the easy answer to the first question. But Jesus would say, well, how about the second question? Have you still no faith? See, the very essence of of unbelief, is that we are more aware of circumstances than we are of the God of the circumstances. We're more aware of the storm than the Lord of the storm. The greatest danger to the disciples, the greatest danger to us, is not the wind, not the waves, but the unbelief that resides in our heart. That's the greatest danger. Not the circumstances that seek to destroy you. Circumstances can't destroy you. Unbelief can. That's why the Bible talks about wicked unbelief. It is our enemy. It is our destroyer because it causes us to lose sight of the Lord of the storm in the midst of the storm. And brothers and sisters, we must, 
We must keep our sight on the Lord of the storm or the storm will destroy us. But if we keep our eyes on the Lord of the storm, now listen carefully, if we keep our eyes on the Lord of the storm, if we remember that he's in the boat with us, that he's the one that took us into this storm, and that he said we're going to the other side, if we remember that, then like John Newton, we can say, with Christ in the vessel, I smile at the storm. Right? With Christ in the vessel, I smile at the storm. Not because I like the storm, but because I know the storm doesn't define me. I'm defined. I have hope. I have confidence. Because in the midst of the storm, I remember that the Lord of the storm is in the boat. If I remember he's in the boat, well, we're going to make it to the other side. See, Jesus said to the disciples, let's go to the other side. And if you look at chapter 5, verse 1, look what he says. Look at how chapter 5 begins. They came to the other side. They, They made it. They got through it. You know why? Because the Lord of the storm said they're going to the other side. If he says you're going to the other side, you're going to make it to the other side. Jesus expected the disciples to trust him. Jesus expects us to trust him. And he sends storms to test our hearts. Now let's be honest. Let's be clear. Because it's so easy for us to sit in our easy chair with our cup of coffee and say, Man, yeah, I, I knew that they were going to make it. I mean, what's their problem? Can't they read? It's right there. Of course they're getting the other side. Jesus is in the boat with them. How stupid could they be? Hmm. Well, let's be honest about this. When you're in a storm, when you're in a boat, and the storm is raging, and Jesus is sleeping, what looks most powerful? The storm's raging, Jesus is sleeping. Where where exactly should we put our confidence here? And the storms are raging in your life, and it seems like that God is sleeping. Where do you put your confidence? See, the very nature of storms is that you don't feel real connected to God. The very nature of trials is that God can seem far away for a very long time. The very nature of faith is that we trust in that which we cannot see. And if we don't do that, then we begin to focus on the circumstances. And as soon as we focus on the circumstances and forget the Lord of the circumstances, the battle is already lost. It's a battle for life and death. Remember that when the storms of life hit... They almost always appear stronger than God's word. When you're going through difficult times, for a period of time, those storms, those circumstances, those bill collectors, those medical evaluations, those unanswered prayers, those financial needs, those relational crises, your marriage or lack of marriage, 
your desires that aren't met, they cry out. They cry out for our heart. And once our heart becomes consumed in meeting a need that, that God hasn't met, then we've lost our way. That becomes our idol. But as long as we can see the Lord of the storm in the midst of the storm, brothers and sisters, there's hope. There's confidence. There's certainty. I, I love the song we sang earlier. Oh, wondrous love that will not let me go. In the midst of your storms, remember there's a wondrous love holding you. It won't let you go. It's the Lord of the storm. He's keeping you. He's testing you. He's allowing the storms of life to test you. Jesus the truth of the matter is, is as unmanageable as the storm itself. He does things that aren't under our, under our control or according to our plan. He's wise enough to let us go through things we can't understand, to let bad things happen to people he loves. Because he's a God who knows better than we do. When we're in a storm, the only safe place is in the will of God. And those trials and those difficulties become divine appointments to strengthen our faith. We grow through storms, afflictions, hardships, and challenges. Without them, we would be captive to the terrible tyranny of self. One of my favorite writers is J.C. Ryle. I want to read a few paragraphs that just, just help say this better than I can. Listen, listen to these words. Christ's service does not exempt his servants, servants from storms. Here were 12 disciples in the path of duty. They were obediently following Jesus wherever he went. They were daily attending on his ministry and hearkening to his word. They were daily testifying to the world that whatever scribes and Pharisees might think, they believed on Jesus, loved Jesus, and were not ashamed to give all up for his sake. Yet here we see these men in trouble, tossed up and down by a tempest, in danger of being drowned. Mr. Ryle says, let us mark well this lesson. If we are true Christians, we must not expect everything smooth on our journey to heaven. We count it no strange thing if we have to endure sicknesses, losses, bereavements, and disappointments just like other men. Free pardon and full forgiveness, grace along the way and glory at the end, all this our Savior has promised to give. But he has never promised that we shall have no affliction. He loves us too well to promise that. By affliction, he teaches us many precious lessons, which without it, we should never learn. By affliction, he shows us our emptiness and weakness, draws us to the throne of grace, purifies our affections, weans us from the world, makes us long for heaven. In the resurrection morning, we shall all say, it is good for me 
that I was afflicted. We shall thank God for every storm. Jesus will keep us in the storms of life. And he has given us a reason, a far greater reason, to be confident of his care. Because this storm points us to a greater storm. Ultimately, he came to confront a still greater storm to endure that storm upon the cross as our substitute. There is a wonderful parallel to this account in the story of Jonah. Mark deliberately laid out this account using language that's parallel. Both Jesus and Jonah were on a boat. Both boats were overtaken by a storm. Both The description of the storms is almost identical. Both Jesus and Jonah were asleep and the sailors woke them up saying, we're going to die. And in both cases, a miraculous divine intervention calmed the sea. There was just one difference. In the midst of the storm, Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. And they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. Now, the Gospel of Matthew says that one greater than Jonah has come. Jesus says, I'm the true Jonah and someday I'm going to calm all storms and still all waves. Because I'm going to destroy destruction, break brokenness, and kill death. Brothers and sisters, please consider this. Jesus was thrown into the only storm that could utterly sink us. The storm of eternal justice where we pay for our own wrongdoing. If the sight of Jesus bowing his head in that ultimate storm is burned in the core of your being. If you see Jesus hanging upon the cross and you recognize that he hung there for you. If you see that, you will never say, God, don't you care? If you see that Christ died for you that he was with you in that ultimate storm, then you will know that he will surely be with you in smaller storms as well. He is the true Jonah who was consumed by the stormy sea of God's wrath as he hung upon the cross so that you and I could be saved. And that is our ultimate hope and our greatest need because the storms we must fear are not the storms of this world, but the storms of eternal destruction and damnation because our sins are held against us. Jesus hung upon the cross and he died for us so that we could forever be reconciled with the Father. He sat down in the storm only to emerge three days later as the one who stilled the just and righteous wrath of God against sinners. So the question that you must answer, and only you can answer for yourself, is this. Who then is this? 
That's the question the disciples pose. That's the disciple we, the question we must answer. Who then is this? In the gospel, we know that because Christ died and has risen and we are united to him, all that happens to us comes from the hand of a loving father. All wrath has been removed. He does everything for our good. If you are a Christian, you need never to fear the storms of life because the Lord of the storm is in your boat. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through this passage. For letting us see ourselves in the storms of our life, tossed and afraid, just like those disciples. So easily believing that you are asleep and unconcerned. And yet seeing in this passage that you are the Lord of the storm, that every storm that affects our lives has come through your loving hand. That you'll never leave us or forsake us. And if we are yours, if we turn from our sin and trust in the Savior, your favor will be upon us. Thank you that we can see you, the Lord of the storm in the circumstances of life. Thank you that you keep us both now and in eternity for the hope we have in you. You are the sovereign one. In your never failing love you work everything for our good. Whatever comes my way trust you. Teach us. Help us to obey you. Help us not to lose heart or to focus on the storms, but to please you in faith, trusting in you. You're more than enough. We give you thanks. Give us eyes to see. In Christ's name.